0: it in various translations. Here's the literal, literal translation. Do not fear, so it's the same. From now on, it's the same. You will be taking men alive. Now that's interesting. Catching men and taking men alive sounds very different. In fact, as I pointed out, Jesus never s- spoke about parables of a hook and a line. One time he sent Peter to go to the seaside with a hook and said, cast it in. And the first fish that you catch... It will have a piece of money in its mouth and you can pay our taxes. So, in my building business, uh, I would catch people, hook them, clients, you know, I'd give them a pen with my name on it and they feel obligated to call them out. After all, he gave me a free pen kind of thing. That's kind of a, you know, buying converts for building houses. That's okay to pay your taxes, but it's not okay for leading people to Christ. They need to be drawn with the cords of love in a net conscious of what's going on they could swim around it go uh, and leave but that's a total different me- uh, method <clears throat> why well, he says taking men alive is actually what the Greek says in this text so it's kind of nice to read a literal translation and understand that that's really important that's not only do we have to have insurance but we also have to bring them alive and conscious of what they're doing how can we do this? That's a very practical question. And then that's why I'm going to give you the uh, second piece of paper. The methods of the Master are questions. I mentioned that in passing this morning, like I mentioned how to be a good witness, how to be a good sower, how to be a good fisher, and I mentioned... It's questions. That's the key. So we'll delve into that. And then waiting on the Lord for salvation and then how to make a disciple by obeying God together, side by side. Well, let's focus in on this method of the master because he came to seek and to save those who were lost. He's the master fisherman. He knows how to do it. And that's really fantastic. Nobody can equal Jesus. But we certainly can walk in his footsteps and follow what he did. In this short story, he reveals at least... 10 methods of the 70 that I've noticed that are really unusual. <clears throat> Jesus may did many physical things like miracles of healing a blind person because people could see it. It's evident to teach a just as real and just as true spiritual invisible uh, lesson that they needed to learn. He After healing the blind men, he said, You're all blind spiritually. You need me to open your eyes. And the lame man and even Lazarus from dead teaches us spiritual things. Well, the same principle is true in every action that Jesus did. Not just the miracles, but where he went, what he did, and in this story too. It's really fantastic. <coughs> According to verses 1 to 3, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus asked a service of Peter. I find that a fantastic method. Just ask a service. When I discovered that in the Bible. I said, that's kind of weird. I don't really feel at ease doing that, going to like a French person and asking them for help for this or that. But I said, at your word, Lord, I'll do it. Let's go for it. So like I said, I called Joseph de Colbert at 11 o'clock, obviously begging the question to come over and have a free meal. It saves me making a meal and inviting him to my little house because it's kind of ridiculous. It's not a chateau. But I have found left and right that when I ask a service of someone, like say your lawnmower breaks down, try going next door and saying, my grass is growing like crazy. The lawnmower broke. Would you mind if I borrowed your lawnmower? You would be amazed what happens. You will have the best friend in that neighborhood with that neighbor because now he doesn't owe you anything or she. You owe them something. And so I looked in psychology books. I said, hmm, I wonder if psychology has discovered that right on. The best way to have friends is to get them to do something for you, not for you to do something for them, because then they feel obligated. Jesus is the creator of all humans, he knows what he's doing. So he goes to Peter and he says, I need your boat, Peter. And he does it. And that was the beginning of the salvation of Peter. It's fantastic. So that's the third method I see here, assurance. And then, um, what did I see for the second one? This is the third one, the method the master asking a service. But that's not all in this record of Jesus' life, his actions. Jesus was a carpenter. We all know that because he was the son of a carpenter. So, and he came from Nazareth. Is not this, the son of um, Joseph, the carpenter. Jesus was not a seaman. I can observe that in this story. And I can imagine he uh, got in that boat and it was like you or me going up and down, up and down and hanging on to the side rail so you don't fall overboard because they're low side rails to pull in the fish and so forth. And he went out of his comfort zone to reach Peter. That's the third, uh, the fourth method that I see to get out of our comfort zone. I'll give you some challenging questions at the end. They're not table talk, but they're maybe midnight if you can't sleep. Pull up the paper and look at it. What's your comfort zone? What's your basically excuse, without saying it's the excuse, why you don't lead other people to Christ? We need to get out of our comfort zone. It's tough going down on the wrong side of the city and talking to people. Uh, One brother was saying, Well, we could go over to Hooters with your antique car. And I said, That's not my comfort zone. Uh, But it's true. I've gone to bars, I've gone to all kinds of places. And the miracle of salvation has happened, whereas I go to a neighborhood that I kind of like. you know, I'm an architect, I like nice houses, and they're all rich. They don't need Christ, and they don't want to hear anything about it. Jesus got out of his comfort zone in coming from heaven above down to our stinky, rotten world. That is the ultimate, getting out of your comfort zone. And who are we to say, well, I don't feel comfortable going to my neighbor and talking to them about Christ. That's what we need to do, get out of our comfort zone. And that's the fourth wonderful message. I'm moving quickly through this because I don't want to overdo my time. Excuse me. He humiliated himself to become like a man, according to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. No fisherman stays at home, the comfort of his fireplace. He certainly won't bring any fish home. Jesus went up, he got up early in the morning, he went out to pray because he had a mission every day what a model for every one of us uh, a brother fellow missionary in, in uh, South America I won't say which one said to me well I'll say Paraguay um, you know they come to the door at six o'clock in the morning and my day is shot if I don't read my Bible before six in the morning so I'm getting up at five to read my Bible to have a quiet time with the Lord So I said, well, if he can do it, brother, I'm going to do it too. So I started getting up at five, reading my Bible. And what a precious privilege it is to do that. It was not my comfort zone. Sometimes I get a headache. Some of you might have to drink a cup of coffee to do that. But you know what? The more I did it, the more God blessed. And I just was bubbling over with his word. When the phone did ring or the email came, bing, you've got email kind of a thing. I was ready for it because the Lord many times honors those that honor him. In a circumstance. By the way, I get up at four o'clock now because I really love this, having time to be with the Lord. So um, I'd encourage you to do that, to get out of your comfort zone and not stay by the fireplace to fish men. Well, here's a verse. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. This is more than getting out of your comfort zone, this is going into deep water. And so I see a fifth method of the master. To go to the lost, not waiting for them to come to you. Jesus did not stay in the temple, the house of his father, as he said, and wait for the sick and the blind to come to him or the lost, the unsaved. He went down to Jericho to find them. He went into the villages and he wore himself out to the point of being exhausted, dropping asleep in that boat in the middle of a storm. That's tired. Probably getting soaking wet, too. And he was sleeping because he went to the lost. And I see that as... One step beyond getting out of your comfort zone, making this tremendous effort to go out to the, into the deep. And it's not so easy. Some people have said, well, you hear the prosperity doctrine. Receive Jesus and everything will be great. In fact, a brother in um, the assembly I was telling you about uh, in Phoenix said, well, Paul, you inspired me. I broke out of my mold and I go to t- talk to people about Christ. There was a gal... Um, at the gas station and her car was out of gas and she was asking people for some money. So I went over to and I gave her uh, some money for the gas and then I gave her a gospel track, and I started telling her about Jesus. And then I said to her, you know, if you trusted Jesus, you wouldn't have these kind of problems. Oh, went, oh my goodness. <laughs> he just blew that one for her brother. He said, okay, next time I'm going to do better. But that's just it. It's not easy to go with Jesus. You realize... Um, for instance, in this the storm, Jesus said, we're going to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes you might think, well, if I just stick with Jesus, everything will go honky dory They hit the worst storm you can imagine. And they said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? We're going to drown here. Get ready for it. This week, if you go and say, I will be a fisher of men... I've got the message, I've got to obey my master, he's my Lord, I can't just say, Lord, heal me, Lord, help me, give me a job, Lord, Lord, this, that, and the other thing, and not obey him. I'm going to do it, it's going to be rough. The Sea of Galilee oftentimes had terrible storms. It was hot, like I said, probably, they fished all night, they were dead tired. It was really a big challenge to go out into the deep, and I think Jesus probably rowed with them, rowing, helping them to get out into the deep in the middle of that. It's important to do that. At Pentecost, look at the example. You want to get back in context of the early church? What did they do? Jesus said, wait until you have power or ability to be my witnesses. Wait in Jerusalem. And they did receive that power. And they suddenly realized we can speak in other languages. This is a miracle. Did they stay in their holy huddle up in the upper room where Jesus broke bread with them? No. They went down in the street... They launched down into the deep. This is it now. And you know what was down in the street? They had those doors locked. They were afraid of those soldiers, afraid of the Pharisees and all the enemies of Jesus. They went down in the deep and what did they do? They spoke the language of the people. The church is for us to worship Christ. It's very important to come apart from the rest of the world And that's what ecclesia means out and clao called out of the world to worship him at the Lord's table like we did. But it's not the place where we're going to lead people to Christ because they don't come in. And heaven forbid we do what like a lot of assemblies are doing now. They paint the ceiling black and put some strobe lights in and get a dancing group up there. It's not a sin to paint your ceiling black. But they're missing the point of the local assembly, the sweet fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to go outside, out into the deep, Go for the challenge with the assurance of salvation and obey the Lord in bringing them to him. It's a one more principle. We must go. Well, remember the deadly storms on the galley. Um, we know Jesus went with them. Verse 8 says that in the context of this verse uh, 10. But even without a storm, it's just plain a lot of work to go out there, probably hot as well. And here I see the sixth method of the master to make an effort to reach the fish. They probably had to row because, uh, from what I understand from studying this, the winds come in the morning and the evening on that Sea of Galilee, so that's fine. And the nighttime, it's the wrong time to be crossing it. That's why they were out there in the storm. But during the day, it's hot, sticky, muggy. It's like a, um, a big bowl yeah. there, and uh, you don't get the storms. Well, what a thing to send your disciples out to do. So not only did they have to go out into deep, they had to make a tremendous effort. And so I see that as a sixth method. And these we can see in all the other stories of the Bible too. I'm just picking one Bible story. But you start noticing these things. You say, my goodness, there's the one, two, three, four, five, six, just like Paul said. Jesus made a big effort to come from heaven above down to this earth to reach the lost. And he asked the disciples, Come and do it with me. That's how he made them into disciples. Well, um, when would Jesus sleep? When would Peter sleep? I should ask that question. He had worked all night. You know, I don't think Peter slept that day because it says at the end of the story that he left all and followed Jesus. He didn't go back to bed. That's kind of cool. God gives us special energy. When we use... Every ounce of energy we have in us, um, I was kidding with the, the kids. we were in the antique car traveling along, and um, how old are you, Mr. Helen, kind of thing, and Jesus makes you young. He gives you energy. It's an absolutely amazing thing, in my personal testimony about being in and out of hospitals and doctors telling me, "Mr. Helen, this is the fifth TIA you've had. The next one's going to be fatal." I said, "Well, they said that after the fourth, and after the third, and after the second, and after the first. And I'm still going. Because God blesses those that obey His word and make the effort and gives us the energy to do it. I am really amazed, as I, I can testify that, it's really worth the effort. And when Peter trusted Jesus and obeyed him, God did a tremendous miracle. He made the fish come. And that's something I've been sharing and with the kids in the car, it was kind of fun. Um, we took off for lunch and we got to the first red light, and somebody came up to the car and blew their horn to get my attention. And I looked down and I said, Hi. I didn't realize it was a brother here in Christ that I just talked to on my way over. Where is he? I don't know where he is. I know there. Yeah, I thought you were an unsaved person. I said, Great. Let's talk to him about the Lord. Well, this other guy probably wasn't saved, blew the horn, and so I talked to him, and I said the same thing I said to you, which was, you said, Nice car? And I said, Yeah, nice sign uh, about Jesus, and talked to him about Jesus. And I think it was Timothy said, That's just what you told us in church today. I said, Jesus brings the fish. We just got to open our eyes and be ready for them. And that's the second method of the master. Just be cool. Don't be a headhunter looking for people that you're going to jump on. Just go through life, whatever your life is, and open your eyes like Jesus did when he saw Zacchaeus in the tree and saw Jerusalem and cried over it. People need the Lord. They're all around us. God brought those fish to Peter, and Peter had never seen anything like that. He wants to get us involved, and that's the seventh seventh, uh, lesson I see in this, this story, that God gets us involved. We're workers together with him when he brings the fish to us. He could bring them to himself all by himself. He doesn't need us. But what a blessing. God says, I've decided to make you a worker together with me. You're going to participate in the joy I have of say it, saving this person. You can't save them, but I want you to be there in part of it. And that's what Peter discovered that day. Too often we ask God to bless our efforts. For instance, we think about, okay, how can we do our evangelism? What can I do? And etc. And then say, Lord, please bless me doing this. Instead of going the other way around, Lord, I'm waking up this morning. Bring the fish to my boat. I really want to, I want to see that miracle. Of people that I never saw before come, and I'm prepared now. I know what I've got to do. I've got to intrigue them with my testimony. I need to sow your word, tell them what you said, and I need to ask them the questions. I'm ready, Lord. You've showed it to me. Your pattern is right there throughout the. You'll see at the end of. No, um, oh, I did. Yeah, another one. um, the reviews of different books of the Bible, it's all the same pattern. Those five fingers, it's absolutely amazing. I didn't invent this kind of a thing. It's just there in the Word of God. And heaven forbid that we turn our hand around and do the other. Sometimes we take a method, like I said, oh, I want to lead somebody to Christ. Let's invite them to a home Bible study. Well, that's kind of nice. They're getting a Christian education. But you're trying to make a disciple out of somebody you haven't led to the Lord. And they learn all the vocabulary. And they pass for a born-again Christian. And then all of a sudden they disappear. you wonder, what happened? Weren't they saved? Probably not. But they learned all the language because you didn't follow the pattern of Jesus. Lead them to Christ first. And then after salvation, therefore, make disciples, teaching them to obey all things I command you. That's just a sign. Well, um, for instance, we read the Bible reminds us that the Lord opened her heart. Lydia in Acts sixteen, verse fourteen. Paul didn't with his arguments or impress her with his pharisaical robes. God opened a door in Acts fourteen, verse twenty seven. First Corinthians sixteen nine says the same thing. Second Corinthians two twelve. And must I continue? It's God that brings the fish to us. He's the one that opens the door. And it's really neat to be working hand in hand with God. I often sing the song Lord Make me a blessing to someone today. Try it tomorrow morning. And you know what? God's listening to you singing, even if you're singing in the shower and it's lousy. He's going to answer that prayer and you're going to be standing in front of somebody tomorrow, the fish that God's brought, or maybe several, and say, whoa, this is amazing. I've got to do it. I've got to admit that I am saved, that Christ is my Savior, and I've got to give them God's word so they'll trust him, not me. And then I've got to ask a question. I've got to go fishing, bring them to a decision to decide for Christ or not. We're working hand-in-hand hand with God, and therefore all the glory goes to him. Side by side with Jesus, people, Peter pulled in the net full of fish. Notice the verse says that Peter fell at Jesus' feet, so Jesus was in the boat. And he was probably pulling on those nets too. It doesn't say that, but I can imagine. Well, the net broke. Interesting. Because we're going to see another story later on this week where the net didn't break. Why did it break? Because it was Peter's feeble net. He didn't uh, have a really good net and expect great things like what happened here. But I am sure that he expected great things of God later on because the net didn't break. And they even counted the fish and said they were big fish. And for all of that, the net didn't break. Our feeble human means many times will break. So maybe tomorrow you will go for it, lead someone to the Lord, and forget to ask a question. Or maybe say something silly and realize, oh, I was bragging about myself instead of about Jesus or whatnot. Don't worry about it. Just pick up the pieces and go for the next fish. There are a lot of them out there. So I encourage you along that means. Suddenly Peter realized as he was pulling in that net, that Jesus was no ordinary rabbi or master or teacher that he wasn't learning from a philosopher how to live life and how to be a fisher of men. He was standing in the presence of God Almighty who ran all of creation around him. And that's what's neat about what I'm teaching you is I'm not encouraging you to um, follow principles or a method or read a book or get the tools uh, that will really work and be effective. Um, that's not a sin, but my harsh desire is that you will get in intimate with Jesus Christ and realize that it's working hand in hand with him. Only then will the miracle of salvation happen. And that's what Peter realized. We can't save anyone. He couldn't have brought those fish in. And when he drew those fish in, where were they falling? Into, I don't know the English word. In French it's the cal of the ship. The bottom of the fishing boats are usually filled with water. The fish were falling in at Jesus' feet. What an absolute, fantastic, physical picture of a spiritual truth. We bring them to Jesus' feet. Not to our feet, but to Jesus' feet. And I'm sure Peter was pulling those fish in, and he saw the feet of Jesus. And he fell down and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Who am I to be a, p- a fisher of men? Fisher <laughs> friends. And you will have the same experience, too. If tomorrow the Lord gives you this wonderful opportunity of leading somebody to Christ, you will be just overwhelmed by the fact I am not worthy. It happens to me every time. That's why I tear up. I say, Lord, I don't, I don't deserve this. Um, the president of CMML teases me all the time. He says, Paul, you're having too much fun. Missionaries aren't supposed to have fun. <laughs> and I said, I just give all the praise to the Lord because it's phenomenal the number of people coming to the Lord and what's happening across America and across Europe right now. So, this is the eighth method of the Master to involve us. Never forget that only the Savior can save a person. Don't step in and interfere in the work of the Holy Spirit there. Peter was stopped in his tracks, and this is the end of the story. He suddenly remembered his past. I can imagine Peter had done some things with his bold, shooting his mouth off and kind of rough semen in the past. It's not detailed in the Bible. But past sins are what most often keep us from bringing others to Christ. The devil has a wonderful way of reminding us, you (laughs) sinner. Who are you to tell somebody else they need to repent? You know your own life and I know it too. You've all heard that in the back of your head and said, it's true. I said, maybe I have another ministry. I better do something else. Oh no, That's that's a cop out. Praise God. Jesus didn't answer Peter's prayer. Lord, leave me. I'm a sinful man. And God doesn't answer our prayer a lot of times. He says, no, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay here and bug you, Peter. In fact, he called Peter three times, follow me. That's kind of neat. And he often has done that to me too. The Bible is very clear. If we confess our sins, he is faithful in righteousness to cleanse us from all consequences to cleanse us from all our sins, all our unrighteousness. I'm translating from the French. I should read the English in front of me. It's just playing a trick of Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren to make us stop doing what we're supposed to be doing, witnessing for him. And here Peter had that big choice. This was the big decision. Am I going to let those bad thoughts, my um, imaginations of how wicked I am, take over? Or am I going to listen to the Master who's saying, Fear not. From now on, you will be taken uh, taken fish. Remember, that was the first method, and that's the last method, the assurance of our salvation. It's so important to know for sure you are saved before you start doing this. Well, the ninth method of Master that we discover in this true story is our free will. That's amazing. Can life continue as it was before? For Peter and Andrew and James and John, their partners who came and helped. (laughs) Well, not every Christian becomes a fisherman. But they could. You know the majority of believers in the assemblies are not leading people to Christ. And that's sad because everyone could. Jesus is not talking about a spiritual gift of evangelism that I emphasized this morning. It's not in the list of spiritual gifts. It's a job that we're all supposed to be doing. You don't have to be a missionary and go overseas to lead people to Christ. They're right here. I've seen it in this town. It's amazing what God is doing. It's a confirmation to me that the message that I'm giving you this week are really the Lord saying, we've, we, me and Jesus, we've got a message to tell to the believers, to encourage them. I'm on the move, and I want this assembly mobilized. I want them to lead people to Christ because I've got souls to save there, and I want them to participate. It's like all prayer. God can do anything. Why do we pray? Because he wants us to participate in the joy of seeing that answered. It's like a father who could provide bicycles and toys and everything else for his kids. But he loves it when his kids come to him and say, Daddy, would you help me fix my bicycle? He knows it's broken. But it's such a pleasure for a father to have that relationship of asking and then doing. And that's what God is doing too for the Lord's work today. Well, I'm sure Peter realized things had to change here. Could he receive the total forgiveness of the master who said, Fear not, from now on you will be catching men alive or drawing men alive and not tell anybody and not put it into practice. Notice that Jesus didn't say a word about Peter's boat, his fishing nets, or his um, career as a fisherman. A lot of people get off on that. They imagine things. They add to the Bible. What's that for? Uh, wonderful phrase? Wonderful things in the Bible I see, things re- put there by you and me. Jesus never condemns Peter for fishing. In fact, it's just the opposite in this passage. Must we abandon everything? All four disciples not only believed, but all four, it says, left everything to follow Jesus. <clears throat> when they had brought their net, their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I ask questions. Why bring the boat to land? Sink it. Go with Jesus. Peter jumped in the In the uh, lake, the later on in chapter 21, didn't worry about his boat. But it says in the text they brought the boats to land, and they left everything and followed him. What does that phrase mean? Left everything, left everything to whom? The bottom of the pond? No. To somebody else on the shore? No. It means they left everything to Jesus' disposition, because we read throughout the Gospels of Jesus in their boat. They didn't leave it behind. In fact, when Jesus met them on the seashore after his resurrection, he didn't tell them, shame on you going back to fishing. He said, bring what you've fished and let's have breakfast. That's a confirmation of what they were doing. What Jesus is trying to bring up in this passage, by a physical picture, we can see it very clearly, he wanted them to commit everything they had, their talents of fishing, of drawing nets, their time, their whole life to his service. So they left everything to Jesus. That's really what he's talking about there, and that's exactly what they did. Jesus never asked Peter to get rid of his boat, become a, how do you say that in English, uh, a beggar going around saying, well, I'm serving the Lord now, you know, so I need somebody to support me. No, Jesus never chose um, even professional religious teachers He chose men with jobs, and he wants us to take what we have to serve him. That's the tenth method of the master, not to make poor beggars of his disciples, but men and women capable of earning a living and offering it all to the fisher of men, Jesus Christ. Paul says this again in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9, I worked with my own hands day and night so I could teach you. First Thessalonians 2.9, 2 9. Second Thessalonians 3.8, and some more verses. I don't need to keep on going. It's obvious that's biblical. I did it. I can tell you the experience too, being a missionary, going to France and took my career over there and, and designed houses and then discovered, well, I can earn money faster that's more efficient for the Lord by building the houses too and then just take time off because I'm my own boss and do the Lord's work. Many times I worked at 3 o'clock in the morning doing drawings so that I had the day to go out and fishing and bring people to Christ. And it's dynamic what happens. God uses that. He uses what we have our meager thing, meager things. I think my brother mentioned, yeah, Jesus God said to Moses, "What what do you have in your hand?" I'm just a stick, a shepherd's stick. With that stick you're going to cross the Red Sea, you're going to lead Israel to the promised land. It wasn't very much. It was just an old shepherd's stick. And whatever you have, whatever career or career you don't have, or education or education you don't have, God is saying, give what you are to me totally. That's the tenth method of the Lord. Total commitment to him. And then he will make you a fish of men. Well, let's listen once again to what he says. Do not fear. From now on, that means from today, you will be catching men. Luke 5.10. Mark one seventeen. we read how Jesus said, I want to make you fishers of men. This is how he makes it, a fisher of men, by his methods. They're not methods of going to school, learning a book, getting a diploma. You don't become a fisher because you have a doctor's degree in fishing for men. It's because the master himself transforms your life. So I really encourage you to consider these things. Um, to the review, three R's again. The master reveals his methods in the four Gospels not just in the Acts, but the four Gospels are our manual for us. He is our only model to follow. And I remind people, you know, you could follow David, but you'll end up in Bathsheba's bed. You could follow Moses and get mad and never see the Promised Land. You could follow Samson and commit suicide. All people in the Bible are good examples of things you should do and things you shouldn't do, but there's only one model, Jesus Christ, who never made a mistake. And you can follow him at the letter at the every single step of the way and know I'm on the right road here. That's why he says, follow me. His first method was to leave his comfort zone to find the lost. And that's what I encourage you tomorrow morning or even tonight. Maybe it's uncomfortable, but pick up the phone, call someone, write a letter, write an email. That's easier because you can hide behind the computer. But just get out of your comfort zone and say, I'm going to do this. I really have a hunger for souls to be saved. Because when we get to heaven, there's nothing more important than seeing someone else saved there. No money, no things, nothing will go, but someone we led to the Lord. We can't wait for the lost to knock at our door. We need to go out and find the lost. Incidentally, I wanted to share this. Sometimes people get um, motivated and then... A week after I'm gone, they're sort of, oh boy, I've tried it, i failed, I didn't do it the right way, and yeah, I know what he said, and it's in the Bible, and just think of what Jesus promised. He always kept his promises. One of his greatest promises is, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. I don't know about you, but I trust Jesus. And that gives me chills down my back. I need no other motivation. I don't care what people think about me. on a religious nut. I'm crazy. What are you doing going across America in an antique car and stuff? That doesn't matter. It's what he thinks of me, what I'm doing. But just hear Jesus, what he said. If you confess his name tomorrow to an unsafe person or to the world or around you, Jesus promised I will say your name to my Father. That is powerful. Do you need any more motivation than that? And then there's, that's the carrot, but there's also the stick. He says, but whoever denies me before men, and that can take various forms, like just being quiet. When you're in a group that's mocking out Christ or Christians, him will I deny before my Father. Perhaps your prayers are not being answered. That's because Jesus says, I can't, Say to my father, let's do it for him because he's ashamed of my name. He doesn't speak up for me. And it's easy to deny Jesus by just fitting into the culture and passing for just a regular American. Nobody notices you. And the week goes through and let's get back to church and get some good Bible teaching. If that's you, you're in 90% of the Christians in America. But get in the other percent where you're proud of Jesus, brag about him. And don't care what other people think about you. Just care what he thinks about you. And how Jesus is smiling when he says your name. He confessed my name in public. And he says your name to his father. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, how powerful it is. Thank you for keeping all your promises of going to the cross. You said you would. You were going up to Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of wicked men and die on the cross And if you are lifted up, you will draw all men to you. Lord, you've drawn us. You draw all men, but many turn back and refuse. Thank you so much for being patient with us to the point of saving us. Thank you for the privilege of speaking for you in this world, being ambassadors and pleading with the world that they would be reconciled with God, their creator. Give us that boldness that we need to open the subject, to sow the seed, to draw on the net, and to watch you work. Lord, it's really exciting to think about the week ahead and what you're going to do through each one of us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.